Hi, I'm Dina Zaman. Um, I'm a part-time Malaysian writer. I will be speaking to Alfian Sa'ad, a Singaporean playwright, poet, a writer who's also been accused of being a pro-Malaysian activist. So this 30-minute podcast is organised by the Georgetown Literary Festival. And uh, yes, Alfian, are you yes. there? Are you ready? Hello. Hi, hi, Dina. I'm as ready as ever. Okay, good, good. Yep. So uh, it's good to speak to you. Um, I've always wanted to have like Teta Rick with you, but ah. you know, we never did because you were busy, I was busy, or we would just pass each other like, you know, right. shits in the night and all. But <laughs> so here we are. So I am extremely honoured to have been asked by Pauline and Sharad to interview you. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I've been following your, you know, you know, news reports, me, your work. Yeah. I also follow your Facebook statuses, right? Mm-hmm. So please yep. add me, okay? Yep. <laughs> so, anyway. You mean we're not friends yet? No, we're not friends oh, yet. No, oh no, how is that possible? Well, look at my goodness, 30,000 followers, but you know. I, I, yeah, well. But anyway, mm. I think, you know, I've always been fascinated about identity, yeah? Mm-hmm. And even though I live in a Malay stroke Muslim majority country in Malaysia, Right. When you talk about being Malay, when you talk about being Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. Identity is something which will never, never go away from Malaysia. Mm. And when I refer back to you, and mm-hmm. you know, this is just based on Facebook statuses, lah. And I yeah. think, you mm-hmm. know, I ask myself, you know, yeah. so Afghan is speaking as a Malay minority in Singapore, right? You know, and I have questions like, oh, does mm-hmm. he not like Singapore? Does he want to come to our country mm. because? Malaysia has its own problems too. And, you know, we can be quite bonkers, okay? Right. So, why don't we just start with that? What did you tell us about the work you do and why you're focusing on this? Right. Okay. So, um, I mean, you're right. I have grown up as a minority in Singapore, specifically a Malay Muslim one. And I think that definitely has informed a lot of my writing because I I think it comes from a sense of what is the field like you know, who are the people who are writing about, say, minority experiences? So in, in a way, as a writer in Singapore, I, I kind of felt blessed that I I had this. I had this particular identity. Uh, in Singapore, it's not a dominant identity. It's not really part of uh, the mainstream yeah. life. It's not so right. visible. Uh, and then it became uh, a kind of obligation, I felt, right. to kind of, um, yeah, to insert oneself. For the sake of like voice and visibility into this idea of what is the shared imagined public. Right. Mm. Well, so can you just tell me a little bit more about the work you've been doing recently? Sure, sure. Yeah? Sure. So um uh, in 2012, I published a collection of flash fiction. Mm-hmm. And and I think the title sort of like wears it on its sleeve, you know, it's called Malay Sketches. Right. So it's very, very short vignettes. Um, right. trying to document uh, little episodes of Malay life in Singapore. And the title is is uh, is a reference to uh, also another collection of short stories by right. Frank Swettenham, who, as you would know, is a colonial governor. And he wrote it in 1895. So uh, my purpose in titling my book with the same right. title is as a kind of um, decolonial kind of act, is a way yeah. of seizing back the means of representing myself. Because obviously, colonials have got a certain way uh, of writing about 
let's say Malay people, right? So someone yeah. like Sebastian Alatas has covered that really, really quite well in his book, The Myth of the Lazy Native. Right. Uh, I've also been writing a lot of plays that deal with right. uh, race and religion. So two mm-hmm. of those plays which have uh, toured to Malaysia are Para, yeah. which looks at uh, racial politics in Malaysia. And another play is called Nadira, which looks uh-huh. at interfaith love and conversion yes. and civil marriage. And, and the characters in that play uh, come from both Singapore as well as Malaysia. So these two plays, as well as two other plays, have yeah. been published in a collection called Collected Plays Tree. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, as we go on throughout this podcast, right? So I'll be yeah. jumping in, you know, I'll be combining some of the questions that I sent, I emailed you earlier. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this one's going to be a bit long. Yeah. Sure. You know, as a Malay Singaporean, you know, mm-hmm. what are the ironies that you see at home, you know, in mm-hmm. Singapore? Right. And then when you compare them to the so-called motherland Malaysia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I think in terms of identifying ironies, right, I mm, maybe I won't focus specifically on the condition of being Malay in Singapore. But All right. definitely, I think um, in some ways, Singapore's mm-hmm. model of multicultural accommodation has been praised yeah. in the sense that there is this thing which we all call CMIO in Singapore. Okay. Yeah, which stands for Chinese, Malay, Indian, and others. So uh, our others is your Danai Lain, right? All right. Um, and, and, and then, uh, because you have, let's say, these four races, I mean, the, the others is like a weird sort of amorphous race, so to speak, right? Yeah. Uh, the government has sort of like guaranteed, okay, each, each of these communities will have, yeah. for example, its own vernacular press. Uh, will have its own, say, TV stations and radio stations, right? And all this is part of public service uh, broadcasting. Um, so on one hand, there is this kind of multicultural policy, which I think a lot of Singaporeans are very proud of, you know, and, and rightly so, because it seems uh, like there's parity, right? Everyone yeah. okay, is being treated fairly. If you are going to have a TV station, you have one too, and you have one too. Yeah. Uh, and all the languages are supported quite equally, whether it's Tamil, Mandarin, Malay, or English. So yeah. it's been said that Singapore is one of the tiniest countries in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. but it has got the most number of official languages, right? We've got four official languages. Right. Um, on the other hand, of course, um, this CMIO category or categorization also produces some problems. Okay. One of which is that we become very race conscious. Uh-huh. Right? So, so, you can say, oh, the thing about having multicultural policy is that so far to prevent kind of uh, mm-hmm. racial feelings or racist feelings, rather. Um, but the thing is that it causes racialization, you know. So, right. so some people have said um, Singapore, yes, there's some racism, but you wouldn't really say it's a very racist country, but it is very racialist. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we are, we are very conscious of that. And, and for, for many of us, it suddenly becomes very far foregrounded as, right. as our identity. So you can go to a cab and then people very point blank can right. ask you, like, you what race? Ah? 
just like that. Yeah. Get that back here. Right. Uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think both Singapore and Malaysia, I think we, we are very racialized. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is that when you reduce this idea of people's ethnicities to, let's say, yeah. four main races, uh, you also find that those interstitial identities, people find it very difficult to wrap their heads around it. Yeah. Mm. So, for example, when you have Malays and you think, oh, they're all Muslims, and then let's say if it's someone who's Indian Muslim, yeah, you're like, oh no, are you wait, are you Indian? But then you're Muslim, right? So, are you Malay? <laughs> you know? So that happens. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I also know of instances when, when there are, let's say, fair-skinned yeah. Indian people, right. yeah, and they are called um, Caucasians, yeah. Uh, there are also, for example, uh, Peranakan Chinese who, let's say they, they don't speak Mandarin very well, and in fact, some of them uh, claim Baba Malay as their mother tongue. Right. And then it's like, oh, but then doesn't make you Malay, doesn't make you uh, Chinese. So I think there's a certain sort of rigidity that comes along with the CMIO framework yeah. that, you know, that shows that, yeah, uh, I mean, these, these things also need, need to be challenged, yeah? And also the kind of like, your ethnicity being tied in with your linguistic identity. This is also the other issue. So I know that some Malaysians praise Singapore's bilingual policy, you know, saying right. that, oh, you have English as a kind of lingua franca, but you can take a mother tongue and you can choose whether it's Chinese or Malay or whatever. But most of the time, it's kind of assigned to you based on what race it says on your IC. Right. So, and then your raising I see is based on patrilineal descent, right? So it's your okay. father's race. Yes. So if you think about it, it's like, okay, wait, hang on a moment. I'm going to study my mother tongue, yeah. not my father tongue. Uh, when I'm at home, let's say, you know, in a traditional family, my mother is going to do most of the child rearing, yeah. you know, she's going to raise it. So if I'm, if I'm in this like mixed marriage, yeah. yeah, let's say my father speaks Malay, but my mother speaks Mandarin. Yeah. And then she speaks Mandarin with me at home. So my mother tongue is going to be Mandarin. But my IC says I'm Malay because I follow my father. Right. Then in school, I have to take Malay as a mother tongue. So I mean, you know, these right. are, I suppose, the kinds of contradictions and the kinds of tensions that arise from when you want to categorize, when you use yeah. race as a form of administrative or management kind of category right mm. okay um you know i think i briefly mentioned to you about this little pet project that i'm working on about yes. exploring malay identity yeah. which is have been quite limited thanks to the to the covid <laughs> pandemic yeah okay but one of the things that i want to ask and it's a discussion i had with a mutual friend of ours muhammad yeah. inran type yes right yeah it's about how maybe not everyone but some singapore malays looked up mm. to malaysian malays mm. so I'd like to ask you, right, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, you know, if you could speak on behalf of certain fellow Singapore Malays, right, yep. who, mm -hmm. what do you all think about this, you know, this resurgence, right, of yes. us Malaysian Malays reasserting mm -hmm. ourselves as being Malays? And I'll give you this to me. I've been hanging out with a bunch of men, yeah, yep. mm -hmm. who is very, very patriarchal, right. who believe in the Punjab symbol, you know, this is all Malay rights. We are reclaiming our faith from the Salafi, Wahhabi influence, the Arab uh, influence, mm. um, they don't see themselves as Malay supremacists, they see themselves as cultural activists. Right. So there's more and more who are saying, look, the government has failed us, 
We'll mm. take this back. Amno doesn't speak for us. Right. We are going to you know, promote our ibunda, you know? Mm. So, do you have a subculture in Singapore? Mm. What do you think of this? Mm. So, I mean, you know what they say, right? The the bigger your crease, the smaller your, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's very rude. We're on a podcast, you know? <laughs> that's why I say, you know what? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was, mm, yeah. So, um, yeah, I I think uh, mm-hmm. so to to cover that first question, right? About yeah. like do Malaysian do Singaporean Malays look up to Malaysian Malays? So um, I think a lot of us, I mean, we are not blinkered. We can also yeah. see that there are you know some quite um, difficult issues that yeah. Malay Singaporeans, eh, Malay Malaysians are are dealing with. Yeah. Um. So I I don't think many of us kind of romanticize what it means to be Malaysian Malay. I think what a lot of us maybe speculate about is whether or not um, it's more like what would life have been if we were the majority in a in a country. Ah, you know, I think okay. I think that's that's more the thought experiment that mm-hmm. some of us have because it's things like for example the convenience of being able to look for halal food, you know? Okay. Uh, little things like that. Like uh, having toilets with bidets. Okay. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's not that common in in all yeah. Singapore toilets. Uh, even things like being able to to find like a prayer room or musola, uh, you know. Um, okay. So, so I think certain things where you feel oh this might make my life a little easier, a little convenient as a Muslim. Right. Uh, that's it, though. I I also feel that if you are gonna start wondering what your life is going to be like as a majority person, I think you also have the obligation to also consider how then would you use your majority privilege yeah. for good luck, right? Especially okay. if you come from a position where you have been a minority. So mm-hmm. obviously, that's a situation that you're very conscious about. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I know a few uh, yeah. Malay Singaporeans who have made that crossing and then became uh, Malaysians, you know? Right. Um, and like I mentioned just now, in terms of convenience, whatever, of course, these are things that, that they enjoy. But at right. the same time, also other, some issues. La. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I would say that in Singapore, for example, like we also have a legal, uh, we also have legal pluralism. Mm-hmm. So for, for Malay Muslims, so there is Sharia law alongside civil law, okay? Okay. But we don't see as many clashes between mm-hmm. those two uh, sets of laws as we do yeah. in Malaysia, for example. Okay. You know, and, but I'm very aware that, for example, in Malaysia, it's very variegated. Uh, each yeah. state sort of like has its own set of like Sharia laws in there. Yeah. And then there'll be like all different kinds of fatwas issued. And so, <laughs> so it's like, then one day wake up yoga tak boleh lah itu tak boleh lah ini and then um, but then I think in Singapore because it's most of the time it's so centralised uh-huh. there is the Islamic religious council there's right. the administration Muslim law so a lot of things are there's sort of like a central authority and I think this is one of the issues in Islam right that we don't recognise a, 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 a central kind of body like let's say the Catholic Church yes we don't yes. have something like a Pope who says, okay, this is the edict, da, 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 and then the the rest follow. Um, yeah. It's so decentralized. Right. Uh, so yeah. I would say that in Singapore, for example, I think 
I think Malay Muslims here, they have it a little better because macam under this kind of central authority lah. We can argue right. that, oh, but this central authority is very influenced by by the state or the state uh, has, you know, managed to control it or all your kutbas, for example, has to be screened mm-hmm. before you read uh, them at Friday prayers, you know. Right. But I think this idea that things are kind of, kind of like streamlined and centralized, yeah. there's something a bit efficient. My God, I, I hate to say <laughs> this. It's not Singaporean kind of like efficiency is a supreme value. Like, I would say, okay, my word would be clinical. <laughs> Look, I like that it's very safe for me as a woman who walks around at night. And you're like, okay, uh, it's safe, nothing's going to happen. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's very clinical in that right. sense, you know? Well, of yeah, course, Of course, and it does things to your mind also, right? So I have friends who, who come to Singapore. Um, right. And then, you know, they, they when in Rome, do his Romans do... And then they find themselves like one day, uh, they are at a road crossing, uh-huh. and then the the red light, the red man is 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 on, but uh-huh. the road is completely empty, and right, and then they don't cross, uh-huh. and then that is the moment they realize, I've become Singaporean. <laughs> yeah, I wish we have this in Malaysia because we have <laughs> no discipline when it comes to driving or crossing the roads, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose like different ways of like navigating the city, yeah. la, you know, because obviously also the other logic and like, yeah. there are no cars, like you can right. practically cross now, you can use your akal, <laughs> these things. Yeah. I think that, I'm glad we're having this conversation. See, I'm hmm. a little bit more active on Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of shopping from Instagram. So, yeah. But anyway, I've got a couple of Singaporean friends yeah. or readers I've never met. Mm-hmm. And we're always talking DMs, you know, in a direct messaging thing. Right. And one of them is this lady called Chick City Ronging. Oh, For the nice. life, I don't know what But her name is Chick City Ronging, okay? And right. we're always talking about this Malay identity and being, you know, being mm. Muslim. Right. And she said, you know, Dina, I know I can ask you this because I don't want to ask people Malaysia, I'm not afraid of it. Oh, gosh. She said, you know, she said she considers herself as a law-abiding Muslim. She mm-hmm. wears the hijab and all gun. Yes. And she said that when you bring this kind of, when you talk about faith, all these simple things that are about puasa pun kan, mm, mm, mm. she says why are Malay Muslims so judgmental towards Singaporean, uh, you know, yeah. uh, they tend to impose their majority Muslim views on us. And she said, you know, when mm-hmm. you talk about Islam, yeah. it's really not like that at all. It's not about a race. It's not about a, a racial policy. Mm-hmm. And she said, I sometimes wonder whether I, Cik Siti Rongging lah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had all these questions because she said she's a minority, and mm-hmm. she asked me, and I said I don't dare answer that question on behalf of you, right. you know, mm-hmm. because it's a very complex situation, you know. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So what so, do you have? To, yeah. Yeah. So what kind of questions does she ask, for example? Well, she would ask, you know, like she said she would have friends who come down, right, mm-hmm. and they would say, "Oh, Benani is bid'ah," and she says, you know, but this is not bid'ah, right? <laughs> Why yeah. do you say? Things like this. Oh, you're Singaporean Malay. You're 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 minority, so you're the uh, government. But you don't know your own race. And she's right. just quite offended. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're like, mm, mm, you know. Yeah. So I I I suppose that is going to be a very enduring stereotype of um, yeah Singaporean Malays. You know that because you're a minority and supposedly yeah. you have 
some of your rights, so-called curtail, you know, like for yeah. example, you can't wear the hijab if you go to school, right? Mm-hmm. So some kinds of like uniformed occupations, let's say uh, in the police force, um, your customs official, whatever, you also right. cannot wear your hijab because this is yeah. in line with Singapore's policy on yeah. secularism, right? Okay. Um, so, and then people think, okay, then this some, somehow makes you less Muslim. And, and mm-hmm. I find this interesting, actually, because how how do you quantify what is more Muslim and what is less yeah. Muslim? Um, I, I have also seen certain things in Malaysia where I will never observe in Singapore. And one of them is yeah. people who wear a hijab and then wearing short sleeves. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I will never, ever right. see this in Singapore. I've never come yeah. across it. So yeah. when I first saw in Malaysia, I mean, I mean, it's like, it's it's your dressing, it's your life, do whatever you want, you know? Tapi ada sikit, like, okay, where, which, how, <laughs> how is our thought about, you know? And and it, it yeah, it, it was really such a curiosity for me. You know, mm. I, I've had this discussion with mm. someone I know, right? Yeah. Um, I remember when this happened, we had pergi makan and this person wore the tudung but wore mm-hmm. that t-shirt. Right. And she wore Bermuda shorts. Not not the short shorts, but the one that mm-hmm. reached up to your ankle. Okay. So I was like, okay, look, I'm not going to call them Bermudas. <laughs> look, I am a, an older woman. <laughs> My mean, language is kind of like pants, you know, yeah, if they're in your pants. ankles. Okay, anyway. But, you know, I remember all of us, you know, having this team and going, now mm. how do we digest this? So I just mm-hmm. asked, yeah. um, I just asked in a very diplomatic manner, sure. um, how do you justify what you're wearing? Because you pakai tudung and her, mm-hmm. her tudung covered her chest, okay? Right. Tapi, we can kind of like see your biceps, mm-hmm, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, how does this work? Mm-hmm. And she just said this, tapi at least I pakai tudung. And okay. I went back and said, okay. And, you know, mm-hmm. I asked another friend and she said, you know, you cannot ask questions like that because you're free right. there. Right, but okay. I said, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. How does okay. this work? Wait, did you just say free hair? Yeah. Y- you know? <laughs> Is that like a version of like free thinker or something like no, that? No, no, no. You know? Is that the term for it? Yeah, that's what they call it. See, I'm getting hit. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm okay. learning all this language from people. But so Free I, hair. I love it. I was, oh, so I, I just thought this is really yeah. interesting. As Have you heard you of never- yeah. This term though, I mean, it's it's usually like the mat, mat moto in Singapore. Yeah. Um, right. They've got this term for, for women who wear the tudong, yeah? Yeah. And it's called mina fairing. Have you heard of that? Uh-huh. No, no, no. What's this mina fairing? Mina fairing. So the fairing is this sort of like um, cover uh-huh. for, for the front part of your motorcycle. Okay. Yeah, so... The fairing is a tudong lah. So it comes from like mat moto, motorcycle kind of lingo. Can you email me how the photo the, this looks like? Okay. Does it look like a motorcycle punya helmet? Ke macam mana ni? It's like part of the motorcycle itself. Oh. Uh, oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. It's like an awning then. Yeah, I suppose you could, you could yeah, call it that. Okay, but... <laughs> so anyway, I mean, I suppose it's yeah. like the opposite to free hair. Kan? It's like... Yeah. Oh, I do think that, you know, how we, or whether you're Malaysian, um, a Malay, Singaporean couple, the way we mm. navigate yeah. our faith, our identities, can, mm. 
I suppose mm. it can be very personal and very political, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this reminds me of a story, actually. Someone was telling me that um, this person was doing field work somewhere in Kelantan. Yeah. Okay. And then there was like a performance, uh, so there were a lot of people gathered. And then yeah. he noticed that majority of the women there were actually wearing the hijab. Um, yeah. And then this person, I think, I suppose, like, at, a, at that point of time, not so trained in field work or whatever, right. so asked quite tactless uh, <laughs> questions. So he went up to this lady and, and he asked her, so he noticed that she was not wearing a hijab. Uh-huh. So he asked her very politely, you know, if you don't mind me asking, but yeah. I noticed that many women are wearing the hijab here today and you're not wearing, um, why is that so? Mm-hmm. And then she pointed at a little boy at one uh, corner and she said, why don't you go to that boy and ask him why he's wearing that? And by the way, he's wearing the Spider-Man costume. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I thought that's a brilliant answer. That's like, it's, it's not your business. Like, Okay. We we want to wear whatever we want to wear. I mean, does does, yeah. does that boy wearing Spider Man costume? Does it mean he's a superhero? Does it mean he wants to like yeah. climb walls? Like what? What assumptions are you making based on our dressing? Yeah. Okay. Next mm. thing I want to ask is that you know, when I look at your work, right? Yeah. Okay. So maybe I'm overly romanticizing it, but you know, you're writing about identity, being who you are in Singapore, right? You kind of remind me of the woes that third culture kids talk about. You, you know what mm. third culture kids are, right? Yeah. So they have this sense that I know that you've been living in Singapore most times and you, you have all these overseas fellowships. Mm-hmm. But what you see really resonates, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I need to ask you, what, what is the question of home? What is home yeah. to you? Yeah. So I always go back to this quote by James Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, the place in which I'll fit will not exist until I make it. Uh-huh. So I feel that home, I mean, it's not just a passive thing. It's not just, okay, this is your environment. And if you don't like it, maybe you find another home, whatever. I think right. you have to make home. You have to really be active in constructing the kind of yeah. place that yeah. you will fit in, that you know you will want to live in. and which you hope also will be hospitable to yeah. other people and other minorities. And then, yeah. So I, I think that for me is home because I, you know, obviously when I'm younger, I'm like, are you Singapore? Why like that? Why can't I go? <laughs> I, I feel suffocated. Yeah. I mean, the whole like grass is greener on the other side, uh, notion. And of course, it's because I have not, it's very easy kan, to be like a tourist. Yeah. And have this, as you mentioned, a romanticized tourist gaze of another country, another society. And then to kind of fantasize, oh, you know, I think I'll, I'll fit here because uh, I'm, I'm of this temperament, you know. And it yeah, seems yeah. as if this place is built for me. Da, da, da. But um, you need to build that place for yourself, I believe. Right. Yeah. And I always feel that there's a lot of work uh, to do in Singapore. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm leaving anytime soon um, right. to the dismay of I'm sure a lot of people would rather I shut up and leave. <laughs> so I'm still going to be on in, in your flesh. Sorry. Movie that I'm jogging. But yeah, I think with uh, a lot of writers, um, right. you know, that there are things that, that they say. Um, I, I do believe in some writers playing that role as a kind of gadfly, right? Yeah. Society. Right. Mm. 
Okay. What's the most emotional piece of writing <sighs> you've ever crafted? Oh gosh. Okay. Um, I I have a poem. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, I'm so sorry. I just need to like pull it out. Okay. Don't <laughs> worry. Okay. Yeah. So I I hope that we um yeah can edit some of my like pauses right now. Um, hey, not to worry about that. Give me a second, now. So, um, I don't really write poems which I consider uh, very, very emotional. Yeah. Uh, because I think I'm quite a private person. A yeah. lot of my poems deal with uh, the social, political, deal uh-huh. with identity. But yeah. I wrote something after the passing of my mom oh, five years I ago. Okay. Uh, and I don't know whether you've come across this uh, is a poem, mm-hmm. and it's it was also my attempt to write, I suppose, a translingual poem, meaning that um, it's a poem that has both English as well as Malay mm-hmm. in it. And uh, even if you don't understand the Malay, there's there's elements in the poem that will right. gesture towards the meanings of it. Yeah. So, okay. would you like me to read that? Yes, please. That'd be okay. lovely. So this poem is called How My Mother Pronounced Words. Number one. She used to call me Na, short for Anna, meaning child. The terrible intimacy of my child smoothened to a careless syllable. Now memory has whittled it down to something precise as a pin. Number two, but na is also a contraction for henda, meaning want. Thus, to call the child is to summon one's yearning for it. Number three, in the end, there were no words. Just her eyelids quivering as if she were in a frantic dream, her eyelashes like black gills. I called her ma, ma as I watched a spoon transform in my sister's hand, lever to pry open the stubborn teeth, razor-shaving porridge of her chin. In the end, there was just mime. The doctor told us to apply baby oil all over her limbs. This would prevent her body from stiffening into the silhouette of a crone. We rubbed her skin until it shone like council workers removing graffiti off a wall. No mourner should know that her final word was pain. Number four, I began in her body, not as a zygote in her womb, but as a thought in her head. Ma, na, ana. Now in my head, there is a place swollen with echoes. Ma na ana, ana na ma. Ma na ana, ana na ma. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Wow. I can really sense the love you have for your late mother. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she you always talk about it. Yeah, and yeah? influence, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Well, you know, today is Malidu Rasul, right? Yes, and that's right. We've had a bit of a very sad passing of the late Saleh bin Junid, you oh, know? Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's affected quite a number of people, at least on my Facebook timeline, you know, people who were taught by him, people yeah. who were his friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I only met uh, Arwah like two, three times. Can yeah, same here. I, I, yeah, so mm. he was always very... He was always very kind. Oh, yes. And I'd like to know how you feel about, you know, mm. the passing of a great mm. literary figure. So um, I I must say that when I picked up his book of essays, which is As I Please, yeah, it was so transformative. You know, sometimes I, if I can name like maybe 10 books which really opened my eyes to the possibilities of, of writing, to the possibilities of, criticality yeah. i think that's that's definitely one of those books because he he's been described as an enfant terrible right. um uh, and so irreverent right and then from him i learned that there were some pantones which were so naughty yeah i learned also about all these silly attempts to try to sanitize the Malay language. So yeah. like Pantai Cinta Brahi becomes Pantai Chaya Bulan, for example. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, and then all these also uh, attempts to to use the language in kind of like bombastic and hollow ways when you are calling malls, whatever Jaya here and Jaya that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I have such affection for his writing. I, I have such affection for, for his courage I think he he definitely broke a path for many of us. For many of us, he he had no time for hypocrisies, for pieties, yeah. right? Uh, he had no time for like for 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 Talibanesque, uh, yeah. bearded mullahs. Um, right. Yeah, and he really really stood up to to all those things. I think from him also. I think I learned the term bourgeois. Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like Putra yeah. and Bourgeois, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so he did. He was he was the OG. Yeah. He was the OG. I was thinking this morning, right, with the passing of Raymond Rashid, Salim mm. Junior, you know. Yeah. And of course, there were a lot of greats who, yeah. who passed uh, away. And I just thought to myself, yeah. Now that these men and women have, you know, gone off to heaven, can mm -hmm. I, as you know part-time writer, yeah? Mm. <laughs> you start thinking, who will be the new writers of Malaysia or Singapore who have that kind of vigour, mm. that kind of that larger-than-life personality, you know? Right, yeah. Because now I can say that as a former editor, I'm mm. doing more research now. When you yeah. refer back, okay, you have a lot of pop writers, which is not wrong. I think that also talks about society. Mm -hmm. But you mm. don't have the remands or sallies anymore, you know? Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but um, I I also do feel that you know sometimes some writers are of their time, also, yeah. um, are of their moment, um, and and it's you know we, I'm sure there are many many other writers uh, out there, yeah. as you mentioned, the the people who are doing let's say pop fiction or whatever. I think I do believe they themselves are pushing boundaries. Yeah. You know, maybe not necessarily in an overtly theatrical, charismatic kind of kind of way, right? Um right. but I, I I do believe so. I've read, for example, um writings by let's say Ridwan Saidi. 
okay. I, I came across an amazing short play by him, which is right. called Broccoli. Yeah. And, you know, the scene opens and then you, you there are these two Malay uh, characters. Yeah. Or three. I can't remember yeah. now. Um, but they're, they're talking and then like within like a minute or two, you realize, oh gosh, they're at a porn shoot. Right. For example, you know. And and he's really pushing up, but but he's doing it in, in a way, yet at the same time, which I didn't feel is incendiary, is yeah. not inflammatory, you know. He's he's just there's there's nothing graphic. I mean, they're just talking about yeah. it. They're just talking how how shall we do this scene later? What are we gonna do afterwards? You know. So a lot of the stuff is elliptical. A lot of stuff is subtext. It has to be imagined, but okay. definitely is towing the line. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's and and I have such such deep respect for these writers actually, rather yes. than, yeah. you know, something that's been happening of late regarding uh, France, right? Yes. Yes. So I, that's that's such a tricky thing because I I support freedom of speech fundamentally. Yes. On the other hand, also, um, I feel that the discussion is so focused on the political aspect of it, which is do right. we have a right to offend? Mm-hmm. But we're not touching on is it right to offend? Yeah. Which is an ethical question. It's not just a political one. I so the, the main question, sorry, yeah, just one last thing, is, that, is, is this question, just because you can, yeah. does it mean you should? Yeah. Then uh, what you're saying is something which you know, my colleagues and I have been talking about, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when you make a stand, is yeah. it for popularity or for the clickbaits or likes, yeah? yeah? Right, right. Because, again, as a former editor, right, when you actually look at the content, you know, but there's right. a lot of noise, you know, and <laughs> I think one thing which I actually don't agree with um, yeah. is the thing about branding, okay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you're only considered uh you know, a person of authority, if you have that kind of branding. And I don't mm. know whether that's right. You're mm. right, you know, about this. Like, even if you can, should you do that? Mm. The ethics of this has not, not been discussed. Okay. Um, I know that at least back home, right, this is something that we always have to revisit and again and again. But mm. I understand that sometimes people mm. do it because if not, you know, nobody's going to read you. Mm. So that is a question that mm. all of us have to talk about. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think we can do this in this podcast. Right. I'd love to explore this <laughs> yeah. again. I know. It's, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, if I can just summarize, you know, what I feel yeah, yeah. about the issue. I mean, obviously, all of us condemn and denounce the murder. Of course, yeah. There is yeah. no question about that, you know. But I also feel that it is a question of framing in which the murder yeah. is seen as a as as a as a moral issue, right? Yeah. It's, it's morally heinous, yeah. but you don't really look at, oh, but is this a kind of political assassination? Is there kind of systemic injustices that inform it? You know, we kind of like take away the political from it. We say it's a purely moral issue. Then on yeah. the other hand, when it comes to the cartoons, we say, oh, it's a political issue. It's about freedom of expression. It's about, yeah. um, you know, not taking offense. Uh, it's about blasphemy. And then we don't look at it as a moral issue. So, you know, it's kind of like very selective framings of how these things yeah. are to be discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So with that, yes. I'll have to end this podcast. There's a lot of questions. Look, mm. maybe perhaps, inshallah, after the, I don't know when sure. the same is going to be over, I'll take the bus. 
Yeah. I like the bus ride down to Singapore. Oh, the villa Yeah. Yeah. I've been telling, you know, uh, Imran this, that we've got to catch up. But yes. Yeah, look at this. Lah. You know, <laughs> I'm having a fever here. <laughs> yes, please, please come to Singapore. I mean, we've been so happy to continue this conversation. And somehow, as you mentioned, yeah. over, yeah. over Teh Tarik, can? Yeah. Uh, although, think, yeah. Yeah. although I have to say first that you will probably find Malaysian Teh Tarik superior. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, I I surrender already. You know, when it comes to food, um, yeah, you you guys are better. Um, but I I do hope that you might also find that in Singapore, maybe there are certain things where we are a little better than you. <laughs> you know, actually, apart from the clinical environment, like, to be mm. honest, right? Yeah. I have no issues, actually. I mean, I remember some people bringing for nasi lemak. It tasted right. just like back home, kan? Oh, really? But then, I'm a food connoisseur. I just makan je. Mm, like, okay. Oh, la. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dina. Um, My pleasure. This is something we should talk about more. Mm. I hope to continue this with you in Singapore and Malaysia. But sure. in the meantime, please stay safe. Yep. I don't know, this COVID thing, kan? Mm. But... Again, on behalf of the Georgetown Literary Festival, thank you so much. Thank Salam you so much for having Gloria. me. Uh, like, yes. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.